Hi, welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info Podcast. I'm Dr Anthea Rhodes, paediatrician and your host for today, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr Lexi Frydenberg. Hi, Anne. Today, we're going to be chatting about burns. Super common, unfortunately, in households across Australia. Really important to know the first aid. If that happens to you in your house, what do you do? Joining us today, we've got a great guest, Associate Professor Warwick Teague, Director of our Trauma Service here at RCH, so stay tuned. From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. So Lexi, burns are really common, particularly in young children. Um, Accidents and injuries happen around the home. You've had something like this happen in your house, I think, have you? When I was three years old, we were on holidays. My dad had a hot cup of tea. Apparently, I came up behind him and pulled on the cup and um, burnt myself from my face, my shoulder and my trunk. And it was apparently quite severe. My mum still says it was one of the most traumatic events of her life. And we were about an hour and a half out of Melbourne at that time. So what my parents did at the time was just jumped into the car and drove for an hour and a half to the Royal Children's Hospital to here where I was admitted. Um, Mum said I was probably screaming the whole time. When I've asked them, they don't actually recall what they did, what the first aid was at the time. Thankfully, I got fantastic treatment at the hospital, had, you know, many follow-up appointments with dressings, etc. And I'm left without any scarring. Um, But I think what's important is to know that it's a really big event for a parent and a child when burns happen and skull burns are incredibly common. Being so young and still remembering it just shows as well how how traumatic it was for you. Yeah. So one of the things you raised there, Lexi, was first aid. And you've mentioned your parents don't remember what they did. They were probably a bit panicked. But that's a really important topic. And joining us today, we've got Associate Professor Warwick Teague to set the record straight on what to do and what not to do. So Warwick, head of our trauma service here at the RCH and a surgeon and clinical lead of the burn service, welcome. Yeah, good morning, guys. It's so great to be here and just listening to Lexi's story. This is the the most common scenario, so a great lead into today's discussion. Perhaps we could start for people listening with some advice about the first aid, because really that's the thing they're going to need to know in that moment where they probably will feel a bit panicked. What should they be doing? So the the key here is we're wanting to call the burn and stop the burning process. That's really what we're trying to be doing. And so if we can remember one thing from today, it's going to be 20 minutes of cool running water. 20 minutes cool running water. Talk us through what that exactly looks like. Under the tap, in the shower, what should parents do? I suppose that varies according to where the burn is. And on our way towards the cool running water, we have to also be thinking, is anything continuing to to hurt the child. So um, in a small child, they're often wearing clothing. So maybe it's a, a onesie or some other kind of baby grow for a smaller child. Um, for, a, for an older child, it might even be a ring or some other kind of jewellery. That's all got to come off on our way towards working out how we're going to call the burn. So if we have the opportunity to have just a small area that is burnt, perhaps it's a hand, then just running the, that hand under the cool water uh, will be perfect, wonderful. 20 minutes of that. However, Lex, in your situation, your parents were faced with a child that has burns on their face, on their shoulder, on their trunk, and that's a really common situation. So that is a great time to get into the shower, but that is adding to the upset and confrontation of this moment, and parents will remember this. 
We need to cuddle and to console our already very upset child. We're going to be standing fully clothed in a cold shower uh, with a child that is was already upset and confused and it's, we're adding to that. So it's really important that parents know in that moment they are doing the right thing. Um, the reality is that we're probably trying to think where, where can I put the child, we'll turn the, the shower on, we're jumping in, we're fully clothed, they're fully clothed, we're taking clothes off as best we can, we're remembering that they've got a ring on their finger if there's an older child perhaps. And time passes very differently when we're very upset. 20 minutes is a long time, particularly as a parent when you're watching your child who's in pain and quite distressed. Often parents ask me, but if I know I need to get my child to hospital, should I you know, get in the car and race to hospital or should I stay at home, do the 20 minutes and then go to hospital? In almost every situation, you are best to stay and deliver the first aid and then come on to hospital. Is there a situation when parents might need to call an ambulance? In almost all situations, we won't need an ambulance for this child that's had a burn injury. However, it's such an upsetting and confronting moment that many people reach out immediately for emergency care and that will be a triple zero call. Now, the person who answers that call will understand what the burn injury is. They might offer some really helpful first aid advice and that advice will be to give 20 minutes of cool running water. They might be encouraging to say, yes, step into the shower or yes, keep the water running. How long have you been running it for? Oh, only five minutes, we'll go back. You've got a period of time to, to achieve all that in and that's where all the energy and attention is at that stage assuming that the child has no other threat. Every now and then there'll be other threats, perhaps problems with breathing. But almost all the time, you invest your energy in the cool running water. You, you then are getting the car keys and going in the car. There's no need to, to race and to rush. But do come that day, that moment, that evening, not the next day. Perhaps don't put that little one to bed and see how they are in the morning. Uh, bring that child to the hospital because there are important cares they're going to receive early on. But the, f the best treatment has started because you've given the, the first aid. So Warwick, are there things we shouldn't put on the burn? If it doesn't come out of the cold tap, you shouldn't put it on the burn. <laughs> um, so what do we see people making mistakes? We see people making mistakes with ice. That's probably the most common because people associate ice with first aid for sprains. If you think cold is good, colder must be better. Unfortunately, colder is worse because we're going to deepen the burn. We're going to make that burn worse. And we see all manner of other things being put onto burns. We see toothpaste. We see flour. We see butter. All of these things that are put on are actually, you know, in a very subtle but important way, trapping warmth into that injured area. They might feel cool because of the way in which they sort of change the feeling at the level of the skin, but they're not cooling the burn in terms of those little cells that are trying really hard to hang in there and they're wanting to survive and to be part of a healing process. If we damage them at that crucial moment, they're not going to be part of the healing process. They're going to be part of the burning process. So, Cool running water. Cool running water. And if we're going to co cover the burn with anything, we're going to use the plastic wrap that we have in our kitchen that we wrap our sandwiches in. Um, so like is, cling wrap, glad wrap. 
Never near the face for obvious reasons, although I have seen those obvious reasons not be thought through. Mm. You don't want to be going round and round a limb. You want to sort of lay the the cling wrap along the arm or the leg and then loop back so it's sort of running either side. And then you pat down uh, on, on, on either side to sort of create stick, stick between the cling wrap from itself to itself. I think every child remembers trying to get hungrily at a sandwich that their parent has prepared for them. <laughs> and you get into a moment where cling wrap just becomes impossible to undo. To off, yes. And you just think, where is that sandwich? You've just reminded me of the newspaper that comes rolled yes. up. Yes. Go- <laughs> so this is, this is how that, that that's is what, what that... what not to do. Yeah, that's what that child is experiencing is we're trying to undo this meticulously encircled limb. So just from, from top to bottom, whether it's from the shoulder to the fingertips or from the from the leg to the toes, just run along one side of the of the of the arm or leg and then back around the other and then tap down the the, the cling wrap or the whichever form of plastic wrap we have in our kitchen. Uh, back to itself. That's really helpful, Warwick, and probably leads us into the next steps of, as to what you do next. So you've got that burn cooled and covered and you've removed anything that might have been contributing to ongoing harm. Can parents then manage it at home or are they going to need to come to the doctor or are they going to get, need to come to someone like you, a surgeon? And what are the different types of burns that might make a difference to how it's managed? So there will be a small number of burns that are quite appropriately managed at home. They might have raised a small blister. They're not confronting in the way that they are experienced. They're not confronting in the way that they look. Everyone feels happy. And that's the kind of burn that perhaps if you if you reached out and you just slightly touched the, the iron when moving either yourself doing some ironing or near someone doing some ironing or you just touched the hot surface in the kitchen that you, you and you immediately withdrew and it, all you can see there is the slightest blister or maybe no blister at all. You run that finger under the cold tap for 20 minutes. Everything is fine. That 20 minutes has actually been sort of reducing the discomfort in the area. This is the kind of quality of burn that, that, that occurs at home and stays at home. So one of my kids, for example, touched the um, heater, reached out and touched our gas um, sort of heater that has a glass panel on the front and recalled straight away and had a little red area come up on her finger. That was not something that we felt needed to be looked after elsewhere. So that's the type of thing that might happen. That's right. And a good rule of thumb is that if a burn is bigger than a 20 cent piece, then we need to be thinking about seeking some some medical attention or medical advice or medical care. And I think parents, as parents, we worry about scarring. So, you know, if we don't do something now, is that going to cause long-term scarring on my child's skin, particularly on the facial burns, um, are quite concerning. Can I just go back to, so Anthea's scenario where her daughter um, or child touched, had a contact burn. So... In that situation, you do the cool running water. When would you recommend, you know, giving pain relief? So your child taking some um, paracetamol or ibuprofen. And when would you recommend using a cream, a soothing cream or another cream you get from the pharmacy? So I would definitely give some kind of simple pain relief, paracetamol, ibuprofen straight away because this is going to be sore. A burn injury will be sore. So if the child has any discomfort associated with this at all, then I'd be giving them that and I'd be proactive in that. I would, I would hold off the creams for at least 24 hours. 
Um, some of the creams that we're using, they actually sort of trap warmth into the skin. So we, we, we just might confuse the matters and some creams are not ideal for injured skin. So we, we often got a bit of a bevy of creams is you know a bit of well it feels of, like you're doing something if you put on a cream Warwick so often yeah. you know people want to do something and reaching for a cream feels like well it probably won't hurt maybe it'll help yeah. and um, often it cools it as well it's quite soothing it, so. it, it, it feels like it's cooling yeah and but it feels not. like it's soothing but 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 is it is it helping and that's where let's leave the creams let's leave the creams out and let's put all our investment into cool running water for 20 minutes and let's invest more in the, you know, st- looking at a clock rather than, you know, to, f- to know the time so you get the time right rather than um, wondering whether it's cream X or cream Y that you've just happened to have in your cupboard. Okay. And you mentioned pain. Um, Lexi brought that up and I, I think really important and certainly any child I've seen who's had a history of burn has, has often had a lot of pain. Talk to us about the different types of burn. People think of first, second, third degree burn or perhaps full thickness and partial thickness. How does that affect pain and how might they look different? So the the most common burn that we all we all see, and uh, I don't know, Lexi, but I'm thinking the kind of burn that, that you've described in your story is a partial thickness burn. So it's damaged some of the layers of the skin but not all of them. It's gone through the topmost layer and now it's causing blistering and loss of that layer. So these look wet and slimy. They look very, uh, they're, they're very confronting. They're very disconcerting and upsetting to look at. Um, they're a pinky colour and they're exquisitely tender. And that's because within those layers of the skin, there are little sort of branches of nerves, little fingers that are pointing up towards the, the skin and they are now upset and exposed in a way that uh, makes them really, really sensitive to pain. It's like being sunburnt immediately and having all the pain of sunburn straight away and terribly. And anything that touches or goes near that irritated burn nerve endings is going to cause pain. That's one of the reasons we cover the burn with that plastic wrap that we get from our kitchen because it stops some of the movement of air across and that will actually reduce the pain requirements of that child a lot. Um, but that that's the common most situation where we have blisters and some blisters that are burst or even gone away and we have this wet, slimy, very confronting looking burn. The next sort of layer down, we're starting to sort of really chip away through layers of skin with the burn injury and that might be something that we might encounter from perhaps a touching onto a very hot object when we haven't had the chance to immediately recoil. So perhaps a hand into a coal fire when we've stumbled near a fire, for example. Um, Now we're starting to see drier burns. They may be a really deep brick red colour or they may be a white colour or even a black colour. And those burns, they are also very confronting looking, but we're starting to now see a child that perhaps is not as sore as we think they ought to be. And that's because those little fingers of nerves branches that are sort of reaching up through the skin, they're not just irritated, but now they're damaged. So we rely upon those nerves to work, to receive and to tell the body about pain. And if they're damaged, then they've stopped receiving and stopped telling. 
So sometimes you encounter a child or a scenario where there's a burn and you think, oh, that must hurt. But the child doesn't seem to be as upset about pain. They might be upset about the moment, but they're not as upset about pain. If, if there are red flags that are sending people to hospital, that is one of them. If you have a child that you think ought to be terribly upset by a burn injury and it's very ugly looking and things look like they should be bad and they're not, then this is one way of understanding that this is a much deeper burn. Deeper burns have bigger problems and they need to be seen at a not just a not just by a doctor, but they need to be seen in a hospital that has specialist services for children with burns. I remember when I did the burns job when I was first here at the hospital and it seemed counterintuitive to me that the more severe the burn, the less pain the child was in. And it was probably my biggest lesson. So I think exactly as you've outlined, if it's a severe burn or there's a large part of the body that's burned, you really do need to seek specialist burns help. And I recall a case that I was involved in, Lexi, when I was working on the burns unit years ago, and this young boy had a very severe burn to his leg that he'd fallen into a fire and he had jeans on, but he didn't have a lot of pain because the burn was so severe. And um, the family had been reluctant to remove the jeans because they were worried that that might make things worse. It might have aggravated things, so they actually left them on, and that ultimately led to a really nasty burn that, that needed some surgery. So uh, a big red flag there that if an episode has happened where you think, oh, I would think this is going to be really bad, and they don't seem to upset, then perhaps that's because the, the burn is nasty. That's right, and and it's you can see how all of these moments of what we can do to help all start to overlap. Mm, and absolutely. so we're seeing how removing the clothes is helpful, how calling the burn is helpful. And all of this is trying to st- press pause on any further injury and even nudge the clock back a little bit. Can I just ask one other question, Warwick, about removing clothes? Mm. So I know a couple of situations where parents have not taken clothes off because they've been worried that it might pull the skin off because the the skin is damaged or burnt and they think by removing that very burnt clothing item, they might make things worse. What advice have you got about that? You, You must remove the clothing even if it pulls the skin off. The skin will come off regardless and it is so damaged and loose that it is coming off because it's damaged and loose and not because of this clothing being removed. Yeah, very confronting thing to think about and hear, I'm sure, for listeners, but I know a couple of cases where that has happened and and families have not removed something and that may have been an opportunity to prevent some ongoing injury and, you know, they've they've, um, not realised that it would have been okay to do that. So... Great chance now, Warwick, to talk about prevention. So obviously childhood life is full of accidents and injuries and we can't prevent every burn. And this is really not about parents out there thinking, oh, you know, I should have done things differently. But at the same time, there's always a chance to think about ways we might reduce this happening. So what advice have you got for parents around some top tips? Which burns are common? What are those, you know, risky situations where we might be able to do things differently and reduce the chances of this happening? Yeah, so the good news is that burns and many burns are preventable. That's a really good start. We're we're trying to achieve something which is achievable. Um, So what, what, what could we do to prevent burns? 
whenever we and children are nearby hot, scalding water, so water above 50 degrees of temperature can scald. For us, that's usually the bubbling waters. Okay, so if a water is on the stove or in the kettle and it is newly boiled, then that is well and truly in the hot zone. So whenever we are near those, we must take absolute care and we must get ahead of the inquisitive, curious child. Easier said than done. Lexi, you were the inquisitive, curious child. And that that is a wonderful thing. And it is such a beautiful part of children that they do that. But when they reach out, we as the caregivers around them need to enable them to reach out and stay safe. And so that means not having one arm around the baby and one hand with with the teacup or the coffee cup. And I think you mentioned that the scald burns are the most common type of burns that you see and that yeah. present to GPs as well. Um, I think another important factor is having the teacup or the coffee cup, if it's on the bench, not right at the edge of the bench. That's bed. right. So, so it's moving the cup, being intentional about moving the cup in towards the middle of the table. And that brings us to another moment where we have children in hot water in near vicinity, and that is in the kitchen. And many of us will have stove tops that have four options of where to put the pot. Two at the front, two at the back would be a, a very common scenario. I think we should basically never use the front row and always use the back row. No matter what we're doing for cooking, it's going to be safer. Those little inquisitive arms and eyes, they will reach and look up and they will be grasping any handle they can get hold of. Um, we need to make sure that they don't have any encouragement to do that. So pots go at the back row. Another situation in the kitchen where we've seen burns is with the microwave. Yes. So I think maybe sometimes we underestimate just how hot things get in a microwave um, and it feels like maybe a safer cooking option. So I know children at primary school age might be preparing things for themselves in the microwave and then they're lifting that out. There's that contact burn risk and even, again, if it's hot water, uh, a scalding risk. Often where our microwave is in the kitchen is just at the height uh, that is ideal for the adult. That's, that's how the kitchen has been designed, uh, terrible for the child. So as the child lifts that um, bowl up and out, there's a great opportunity for the bowl to just tip and to pour that newly hot water. Um, that hot water also will have some oily sort of residue in it that's going to increase the, the, the opportunity for burning and make it harder for the cool running water to, to bring that, that um, scalding water away. Um, and then they'll often uh, sit and then put the noodles on their lap. It's, it, it beggars belief, but it's so common. I think it just must be the way that kids and us really want to have noodles on our lap. <laughs> You're you just know? making me feel incredibly guilty here because I, I can I, just picture my home. Yeah. And I my... have actually seen seen a situation of exactly that, Warwick, where the child, and they've had to try and lift it up, it's open bowl and the hole Ooh. down the front and it was boiling or yeah. near boiling and terrible burns all down the, yeah. the abdominal and wall, the tummy and, and onto the thighs. So, so I, think it, I think what we're talking about, it's important to get the kids in the kitchen, yep. but having adult supervision yes. is incredibly important. And we're, Sorry, Lexi. Sorry, no, when there's hot water or anything hot. And what about the bathroom, Warwick? So for people listening, you mentioned 50 degrees as a temperature of water that can burn. So typically coming out of the hot tap, how hot is that water if you're pouring a bath? And I know sometimes parents might worry about, you know, um, burning a child when they put them in. So so baths are dangerous for children for lots of reasons. Burns is one of them. Um, and 
Children should never be near a bath without adult supervision. So that's a good principle. As to how hot water is, that's actually up to our hot water system. And um, there are good reasons why uh, there are requirements for newly installed hot water systems and rental properties and other things which are subject to particular laws that they have to have a governor that stipulates that the water should be no hot than than 50 degrees for that for these sorts of reasons um, 50 degrees is plenty hot enough for everyone out there to have their nice warm shower uh, some people appear to particularly like a super hot water option um, and yeah, that's that's disappointing because it creates risk. But we can make adjustments at our hot water system, whether it's required by law or just required by common sense and the need for safety, we can adjust that. So if a family has an older home that doesn't have it regulated, mm. would you recommend them getting their hot water service or their plumber to come in and decreasing the temperature? If there is any opportunity to govern the temperature of the water, then that is that is a really important thing. However, you know, there would be costs and other things associated with that. But perhaps if there was a plumber there for any other reason, asking them to have a look and see, I think that many people would see the common sense of that and just get it done. Um, if, however, you, you know that the hot water that comes out of your tap is uh, too hot to be safely given just simply in that way, you know, with a child or anyone else's skin, cold water goes in first, hot water goes in afterwards um, so that we don't have all the hot water and then try and cool it down. Let's start with the safest option and then build up the temperature towards that, which is sort of what we're aiming for. We're talking a bit about prevention and often people have open fires or if they go camping, there's a campfire. That's another scenario we see kids and adults getting burns what would you recommend in terms of prevention in these situations? So like in the kitchen, adult supervision at all time, keeping distance. So little children stumble and fall. And if they stumble, they're going to place their hands out in front of them. And if they're too close to a fire or a hot surface as they stumble and fall, those hands in trying to protect will actually come into into the, the danger of the, the hot coals or whatever hot surface it is. So keeping children well away from a from an, a, a fire. We must understand the risk of flame. So um, many clothes that our children and we wear are, are flammable and there are good reasons why we try and make sure that some clothing around children is not flammable, like pyjamas. But many party dresses and many anoraks and other things that we, we do wear uh, they are highly flammable. We must keep children well away from flame. It's a, it's back to the, the same situation as the kitchen. We want our children to understand how to be safe around fire. That's going to be, a, you know, controlled and supervised, you know, introduction into this is how you light the fire, this is how you care for it. But we need to match that with the maturity of the children around us and just make sure that there's really good supervision at all times. And then it just comes to common sense around you know, how much play and other things are near the fire. Um, I think the toasted marshmallows on the stick is a bit of a problem in my yeah, house. A long stick, long stick. Yeah, a long stick and, and just, yeah, Adult just supervision. someone there. The other, the other thing about fires and children is that we must never bring, now the word is accelerant, so it's anything that would burst into flame. We must never bring accelerants or things that burst into flame and flames in contact. And so, so what sort of things are you talking about, Warwick? So we must never use petrol to light the fire. We must never sort of 
spruce the fire up by by throwing a bit more petrol or diesel or any other kind of fuel onto the fire. We see people that perhaps enliven a, a barbecue or a cooking moment with something like some sort of alcoholic drink. A, a fuel onto flame fire, that stops lives and it changes lives in ways that we never come back from in the same way. Don't play with fire. I mean, yeah. we've, you know, it's an, it's an age-old adage, isn't it? But it's serious and, you know, it can really be the master if the situation is nasty. And as mm. you say, Warwick can be life-changing, um, not in a good way if mm. that happens to a child or their family. That is a heavy note, but also lots of really great advice that's, that's not so heavy today, Warwick, as to how families might deal with these really common incidents that happen. As you say, I think you mentioned you see this almost every day that, you know, burn injuries are happening and people are seeking medical care to um, address those things. Thank you. If you found this episode helpful, please share with your family and friends. And thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.